Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Well, hello there. This is Jared Taylor, the host of the Flow State Performance Podcast, and welcome to the show. So today is a little bit of a different episode. Um, a few weeks ago, I got interviewed by Michael Carbone for his podcast called Unleash Yourself. And I thought it would be a good chance for you to learn a little bit about me and a little bit about my journey. You know, it's kind of like when you're the host of a podcast, you kind of just talk to other people and you tell them and you talk about their journeys and their stories and their realizations and all that sort of juicy, epic stuff. And in this interview, when I was interviewed by Michael, he asked me all about that stuff. So I really go into a lot of detail about my journey. And I really actually think it was a fantastic questioner and interviewer. I, I really um, take my hat off to his um, research and his uh, questions and his style and uh, the space he set, uh, which allowed me to kind of just get into my flow state and just and just uh, really express myself. Um, so guys, if you're interested in learning a bit more about my journey and how and why I started flow state and why I left this corporate career where I was earning shitloads of money, and uh, why I decided to recreate and redesign my life around flow state principles. Well, listen in. There's a lot of nuggets in, in this show. And um, I hope you get some value from it. What's going on, guys? Michael here once again with another episode of the Unleash Yourself podcast. And before we jump in to the interview with today's special guest, I just want to set the scene a little bit because I'm here with my man, Jiro Taylor, who... Just sent me a picture of where he's coming to us from. He's in Sydney, Australia, and he just sent me a picture of his view. So he's sitting in the backseat of his van with the back uh, trunk popped open, and he's looking over this beautiful scenery. I see the water. I see the skyline in the distance on the right. I see a lot of green with some orange kind of red flowers. It looks absolutely amazing in terms of tranquility and relaxation. So, Jiro, welcome to the show. Super happy to have you. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, you described that pretty well. I'm actually, the view that I sent you is is overlooking Sydney Harbour from North Head in Manly. And uh, yeah, I got I took my I took my van to a mechanic this morning um, who's a buddy of mine, and he said he's got to keep it overnight. I left my house keys in the van. He lent me his van um before that so i've just been cruising around in his van and i can't get in my house and then i just had this realization for a moment i was like oh shit i gotta do a podcast interview i gotta do all these calls and i can't get into my apartment and then i was like wow i got my laptop i got my phone i got my book i got music i got this van i got amazing scenery around me i'm i'm sweet i'm just gonna uh I'm just going to roll with this one. Yeah, I love the mentality you have. And, and I want to give you a second to introduce yourself in a minute. But at the same time, like I know based on the conversations we've had uh, before we jumped on this podcast in, in, the, in the past, about a week ago, we chatted on Skype, um, read your blog, I've been reading, you know, listen to your podcast as well. And 
it feels like, you know, the person you are today obviously wasn't the person you were a few years back. And I just want to ask you before we even talk about your story and talk about that transformation and the life you're living now, I just want to ask you, like, if this would have happened to you, let's say three to four years ago, when you were still, you know, living that different life than you're living now, um, how would you have felt? Because you obviously treated the situation (laughs) of being locked out of your house with, you know, the bare essentials in quotes for your business. uh, And you're taking it extremely well. And you're, you're obviously making it work. Um, how would you have felt back then? Oh, that probably would have been a problem. I've got someone saying hello. <laughs> I'm just recording a podcast, guys. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I got people saying hello. But uh, look, I mean, there would have been a problem, right? Um, there would have been a huge problem, and there would have been anger and frustration, and irritation, and uh, I guess I would have been wound up in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was the reality back then. Yeah. So let's ta- let's go back in time. Let's tell us a little bit more about you know who you were back then. Um, what the life was like. And, and I know this is, I'm really excited about this interview because I know a lot of people are going to be able to relate to your story. And I'm not too sure a lot of people will be able to relate to the transformation. But this is where I want you to come in and explain, you know, how you did it and how it's helped you achieve this new, um, this new mentality, this new lifestyle and this new sense of, of flow in your everyday life. Sure, man. So I was living a fairly regular existence um, all throughout my 20s. Um, I did, I, I did well at school and college, and or relatively well. And then I got a job in the city, so I was working as a headhunter in the finance industry. So I would, my job was to find um, talent for hedge funds and investment banks um, who would pay us uh, quite a lot of money to find talent, and then uh, manage the negotiation process for this talent to move from one one bank or one hedge fund to another. So that was my, that was my role. That was my job. That was my identity. That was my existence. I was the guy in the suit, um, earning, uh, actually a, sh- a lot of money, uh, for, for, for a guy in his twenties and kind of living the high life and traveling around and kind of thinking I was, um, the best thing since sliced bread and, um, really living this life of excess. There was, there was a hell of a lot of partying and boozing and recreational drug use and um you know buying the 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 fancy watches or and all that sort of stuff because it was the banking industry man it's like you know there's a lot of wealth flying around in that industry um so that was my role and i and i was and i was good at it i was very good at it i was very good at persuading people convincing i was very good at hustling um i was very good at building up relationships um i i'm i got the technicalities of the role um plus at that time this was pre GFC pre 2008 2009 crash and the markets were just booming um, and I was on a red hot desk uh, working the Asia equity derivatives market um, in the in the financial sector and just killing it just killing it you know like there was one month there was one day where I made like two hundred thousand dollars in commission on that one day um, I was clearing like over a million bucks a year um, and just you know a relatively unskilled relatively junior uh, you know a relatively like uh, I was relatively new to the whole industry, so this is kind of like a big deal for a 20, 20-something-year-old. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was all that outward success, Michael. There was all this, like, uh, you know, status, and I was, I was like the top performer in a company of, I don't know, like a 1,000 headhunters all around the world in all different markets, and I was kind of like number one. Um, and it kind of, you know, they put you on a pedestal because it's a sales company. It's like boiler room. It's like they want to celebrate the people that are doing well. So I was put on like this pedestal. They were like, I was like the main man. And, you know, I started getting a bit egoic around it. I, I, I sensed myself like liking the adulation. 
um, I sensed myself, the more money I had in the bank, the more afraid I became of losing it. Like this money just became like this, this, this weight around my neck. Um, and I started feeling my value shifting and myself shifting. And there was like immense imbalance in my life. I was doing, I was doing like cocaine a lot. I was doing uh, ecstasy and all these other sorts of things a lot. I was drinking a lot. I was eating a lot. And I was generally just burning out uh, at both ends. So I uh, decided that I didn't want to live that life anymore. Um, so in, in the summertime, it was August 2008 um, that I pulled the plug. And um, yeah, I decided that that life wasn't going to be for me. I just, I just closed the biggest deal in the company's history and I just earned myself a shitload of money that, that one day. And, um, I remember just lying on my couch afterwards. I was watching like national geographic adventure, which was like my escapism. I'll just go, go home and watch these people climb up mountains and explore and, and just like live this adventurous life. And I would, I was just watching these people and because I'd, I'd never wanted, I never wanted to be a headhunter. I never wanted to earn a million dollars. I never wanted to work in a skyscraper or build a career or have a big pension fund or feel really safe or have a BMW or any of that stuff. That was never part of my dreams. Like my dreams were always about freedom, exploration, adventure, going surfing, uh, exploring new cultures, uh, learning from, just learning. Learning is what my life was supposed to be about and and is now but uh it wasn't in that time so um i remember lying on that couch just completely broken and you know like i i actually felt um what's the word it's like i felt this 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 feeling in the pit of my stomach that i was a complete fake and a complete sellout and i felt like this raw inauthenticity it was like it was like I was living out someone else's dream, like like society had laid out this script for me and I was following it. And it was just leading me further and further and further away from who I actually was and what actually meant something to me. And I was beginning to I was beginning to become this character that this script was built around. But that character was not me. So where there was this vast gap between the real me or who you know, something within me and this life that I was living. And it was that gap that drove me to just make this final decision to quit that life and to uh, embark on the next adventure, which was two years of traveling around the world with surfboards and books and um, really walking a completely different path. And um, one that led me to to start a a, a meditation practice and uh, reading a lot of Eastern philosophy and reading about masters past and present learning about my mind, um, learning about just how, just redefining what success and wealth really means. Because I'd, I'd been told this narrative, like most people li- listening to this podcast will have this certain narrative of success and wealth, which is perpetuated by the culture that we live in. And it's all about possessions, status, security. It's all about the stuff that you have and the stuff that you can avoid because you are successful or because you are wealthy. And I, and I, and it just didn't work. It just, that part, that narrative, Michael, that definition of success and wealth that society had laid out, I saw through it because I achieved it. I achieved it and I felt terrible. I felt, um, broken and sold out. So I set about redefining and, and, uh, finding out a different form of, of success and wealth. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And I see that. And I see the energy even in, in your voice and in your presence, even though we're, we're not in the same place, we're not in the same room. Uh, but I just feel that energy 
coming out of you. Um, what I want to ask you, though, is you had this moment of awareness. You realized that there was this gap um, in who you were and who you wanted to be. Um, but what helped you or what allowed you, I should say, what allowed you to take action on it and actually, you know, leave it all behind or break away from it and unleash yourself from that life? Because you were, you know, in most people's eyes, if people looked at you from the outside, they would say, mm. this guy has it all. He's a good looking guy. He's smart. He's successful. He makes a lot of money, right? Um, what yeah. helped you, you know, you had the realization, but the hardest part for me is, is taking action on it and actually, you know, yeah. moving past it. So what allowed you to do that? Yeah, that's a great question, man. That's the, yeah, that's, that's really the core of it. Like, because there, there are so many people who are in that position and it's like, and I've got so many friends who are still living that, that life that I described before. And it's like, what, what allows you to actually make that jump? And first of all, I'll say that I had the good fortune or the or whatever you whatever words you want to use it wasn't fortune but when I was when I finished college I moved to Japan for two years and this is because I w finished college and I'm half Japanese I wanted to explore my cultural roots and you know I wanted to extend this period of my life where I could just have fun and not work and um, going to Japan to teach English seemed like a, a valid option um, so I went in there with certain intentions, but it was actually a life-changing experience because I, I discovered Zen Buddhism. I discovered all about meditation while I was living in Japan. So I actually had a two-year a two period in between college and beginning my life as a headhunter where I was learning all about my mind. I was learning all about my ego, and I was learning more about what it is that lies beneath this facade of ego and this sort of image that we often live, project our lives through so i actually had this grounding um that i could draw from so when i was in when i was in hong kong lying on my sofa in my apartment with this check for a lot of money in my hands watching national geographic adventure channel and feeling like a fake and a sellout there was like an acute awareness of an alternative existence i had been exposed to the life of a monk pretty much. So I could, I could basically parallel my life that I was living now, which is kind of like Wolf of Wall Street stuff versus the life that I'd seen monks living. And, you know, completely opposite in terms of views around material possessions and, and money and what's important in life and all that sort of thing. And what I saw quite clearly was that the people living this more simple spiritual life were far more happy, far more content they had far greater peace of mind than the people on the whole who were living this life driven by wealth and accumulation and status. So that was that was the backdrop for, be, for me, me being able to make that decision. But the other part, Michael, is just that I'm a sort of guy that takes risks and takes chances, and I and I view that I view this life as just this one opportunity we have to to make something beautiful happen. And I just could not abide by the notion of spending my life. 40, 50 years of my life, whatever it was, wearing this suit, going up this elevator into this skyscraper to pick up a phone and to look at a screen and to pretend to care about stuff, to put on this mask. I just cannot tolerate the notion that this is what our lives are for. And it was that, basically. It was that refusal to accept the status quo 
that uh, drove me to to make that decision. Let's talk a little bit more about you. You mentioned the word the ego. Um, could you define that a little bit for the audience? Because um, I know what you mean exactly when you say the ego, but there's a lot of people that don't necessarily get the the meaning behind it or the way you're trying to uh, describe the feeling or the mindset. Um, and I, I know this because I was having uh, a beer with my brother about two weeks ago. He came to visit me in Thailand because uh, I'm, I'm doing this recording from Chiang Mai. And he came to visit me in Thailand. We were in, um, where were we that day? We were in Koh Lanta and we were sitting um, on at this at this bar. It was like this cafe restaurant bar thing. And they had this patio outside right on the water. So it was like right on the, like it was like a dock right by the marina. There was boats coming in and it was literally the most peaceful thing ever. And we got into this really nice conversation about life in the world. And the reason why this conversation came up is because I'm living this like entrepreneurial life, um, you know, traveling and my brother is actually in the financial industry. Um, so we have these amazing conversations all the time about, you know, similar things that we're talking about here today. Um, and the idea of the ego came up and it wasn't about me or him. It was just about like, we're talking about other people and like life and society. And I felt like he didn't f- fully understand what I meant when I was talking about, you know, people acting or um, defining things based on the ego. So could you talk a little bit about about the ego? Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, I think I think the word ego um, does have this sort of two meanings that are kind of connected. Um, I remember this famous line in the Top Gun movie uh, when when Maverick's like getting in trouble um, and and the guy, the, the admiral of the ship says, Hey son, your ego is writing checks. Your body can't cash. Yeah. And he was basically, do you remember that? Yep. <laughs> and he was basically saying, you know, you you got such a an inflated uh, sense of yourself um, that your actions um, don't justify uh, or don't um, don't live up to this hyped up uh, version of yourself that that you're running through. And you know, that's that's. It's similar, but subtly different when I talk about the ego. So when you talk about the ego in, in a, I guess, a more spiritual sense, and this is based on the way uh, Buddhist uh, philosophy um, or Taoist philosophy would, would talk about the ego, um, we're basically talking about um, a duality. So the best way for me to describe this, Michael, is for me to basically ask you um, a couple of questions. So if I was to say to you right now, Michael, like, who are you? Um, what sort of things might you say? I would say I, um, I'm an entrepreneur, I uh, am yep. an adventurer, and I am a risk taker. Okay, great. So what we have right there is a, is, is a whole bunch of labels, um, which, is, which is kind of how we define ourselves. Um, so, you know, you have entrepreneur. I often say I'm an entrepreneur. For me, I have a surfer. Um, you, you're also a brother. You're a son. Um, in the future, you'll be a father. Um, you're a risk taker. That's a that's a way that you like to describe yourself. We have, so we have all these external ways to um, identify ourselves. So we have this kind of um, we have these these handles that we can put on ourselves, so somebody can pick us up and say, "Oh, that's what this is. That's what he is. That's what he stands for." But on another on another that's and that's what I mean by the ego. There's no negative judgment about it. There's no like uh, the ego is bad, okay? It's just simply what is. It's the sh- it's the shell. It's the it's the it's the surface layer. It's the label. It's the identifier. It's it's Bob the fireman, Sarah the teacher. All these things form our character. Like I am an entrepreneur. I am a surfer. That is part of who I am. But it's not who I am. And when I say who am I, when I, if I was to answer that question, 
I would say I am the I am this uh, this this multi-dimensional being. I am who this being who 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 feels love, who feels sadness, who appreciates the sunset, who has these emotions. And the key difference here is to is to separate this duality of something that is an identity that is artificial versus an identity that is innate. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. So when I talk about the ego, I'm not talking about the ego like Top Gun's Admiral was. I'm not talking about the ego as being some, 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 some negative thing. It's like the ego is actually designed, or not designed, it's there to protect us. Like we develop this ego... Um, like you'll watch a four-year-old child or a five-year-old child and, 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 or a smaller child and they're kind of egoless and there's this beautiful innocence around them. And as they go through this process of growing up and maturing and becoming conditioned by the world around us, they realize that there are certain threats in the world. There's people that want to say mean things to us. There's certain behaviors that we have to take on if we want to get the ice cream. And you learn to develop this, this persona, this, this character and everybody's always giving you a label like you're Johnny, you're in seventh grade and you're on the soccer team and you're like, oh, I'm a soccer player and I'm a and I'm a male and I'm a and I'm a this and I'm a white person and I'm American and I'm a cheese eater and all these sorts of things, all these arbitrary and unarbitrary definitions that we have. And they for, they, they, they form, they, they mass on each other to create this identity that we have. And when I was living in Hong Kong. As a headhunter, you know, earning the big bucks, living that hedonistic life of excess, I was becoming more and more attached to this ego self. So I was becoming more and more attached to this sense of, ah, I'm Jira Taylor. I'm head of equity derivatives headhunting for blah, 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 who earns this much and drives this car and does this. And I was becoming further and further and further removed from the realness of, oh, I am Jira Taylor, who feels this, who loves this, who wants to express this. Do you see what I mean? Totally, yeah. And, and now the next thing, the next step, obviously, is you, you have all these identifiers, like you mentioned them, and people look at you, and when they hear your name, they think of all these identifiers of who he is, right? How do you break away from, you know, feeling bounded by these identifiers? Personal practice. Like, it's, it's as simple as that. If, if you don't have a personal practice that keeps you grounded in reality, then you will become caught up in all these identifiers. That will be the, the net effect. And thus you have people who go through their whole lives and they think they are this person. They think they are Frank, the CEO of this multi-million dollar company. And then when that is taken away from them, they have nothing. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they stand for. That's all they were. Um, so I feel like through personal practice, you can separate this, this shell or this caricature and you can see it and you can have no negative judgment to it, but you can also be like, um, in intimately connected with what is not that shell. Yeah. And I think a lot of it also has to do, like you said, with personal practice of, you know, feeling this confidence in yourself and finding your true self so that you don't you know, feel bounded by these identifiers because you just don't care with, you know, you know, you don't care about having that image to other people. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't care about, Fully. yeah, you don't care about maintaining that, you know, that idea of who you are, even though you're not happy Fully. with it. Right. 
Exactly, man. Exactly, man. And when I let me just elaborate on on the on the two words personal practice because that can sound vague and fluffy. Um, I'm talking in terms of very actionable, finite techniques and strategies that form my personal practice to become ever more aware of who I really am as opposed to who this ego self is. And the biggest tool, the most profound practice is the one of meditation and mindful living. Mm -hmm. Meditation is literally the science. It's a systematic, scientifically driven method of disconnecting with this ego self and reconnecting with a part of you that is innate and authentic. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So meditation has been around for thousands and thousands of years, right? Um, And it's not just coming from the Buddhists in in Thailand and India, and it's not just coming from the Vedic tradition. It's not just coming from the Taoists. Like, there's been meditation in some shape or form in, I would say, every continent on Earth, uh, amongst most tribal traditions, indigenous traditions, they have some way of coming home to who they really are. Whether this is a tradition of walking in the bush, in the wilderness, like the Aboriginal Australians would do, or whether this is a process of um, just just being still, or storytelling, or contemplation, or dancing, or hunting, there have been methods and tools throughout culture, throughout humanity, uh, for millennia, that have reconnected humans to something authentic and innate within them. And now we're living in a special time, Michael, because now we have the amazingness of science. We've got we've got scientists at Harvard and Yale and, and all these other amazing institutions who are dedicating their whole careers to looking at what meditation actually does in the brain and what the effects actually are in the body. And the results have been absolutely phenomenal. Like so we've moved from this place where in the seventies we basically had to say, okay. That guy looks pretty chilled out. He looks pretty happy. So I'm going to just assume that meditation works. Or you could say, nah, that guy's talking a language that I just don't get. So I'm going to leave meditation to one side for the hippies. But now we're living in this age where we can read the peer-reviewed journal. Uh, we can re- read the research reports. We can watch documentaries on this. And we can say, wow, there is an actual science to what meditation is doing. And it's having an amazing impact on our immune functions, our stress, our anxiety, our ability to sleep, our ability to function as high-performing, more balanced humans, our ability to not live in the stress response for, the, for our entire existence. And it's actually changing the way we approach diseases and, and palliative care and, and how we approach long-term health and well-being. And this ancient practice is now being validated by the most cutting edge of science. And I love that because this is the most simple practice there is. There is nothing high tech about this. You don't need to put the special headphones on or buy expensive material or equipment. You can literally just sit and be and observe your breath. Just observe the sensations on your skin. Listen to the sounds of the birds or of the wind rustling through the grass. And you can be in a state of meditation. You can just be in this state of stillness. And that state of stillness can connect you with the vastness, the, the vastness of this authentic self that is within you. 
Yeah, and I love this because that's something that I'm very curious about now. I think I'm not sure if it has to do with, you know, living in Thailand now for four months or just meeting people like yourself, like very successful entrepreneurs, very successful people um, in terms of just their emotional states. Uh, and then they all have this one thing in common that they meditate, whether it's in the morning, whether it's at night, whether it's a couple times a week, but they all like speak so highly about it that for me in the past, it used to be this, you know, meditation was this hippie thing, like you said, and I'm like, I just can't sit still. So I've tried meditating in the past where I'd sit down, but after three minutes, I'd be like, I have this email to check. I have this thing to do. I have, you know, so I've never been able to fully get it. And I think part of it was because I didn't truly fully believe in its, you know, uh, potential. Um, so how did, how did this lead you to, uh, obviously you run the website flow state collective. So how did this lead you to the idea of flow and finding those flow states and speak a little bit about that uh, and, and maybe sure, teach, maybe teach some people who are listening right now what that is, because I know when, when we first connected uh, a week ago, I didn't know what that was. And, and then you explained it to me and you explained it super, super well that I totally got it really, really quickly. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little? Sure, man. I'd love to. So I'll, I'll tell you guys a story um, about, my 20s and my 30s. In fact, my entire existence, I've been fascinated by peak states. And I know that that's a vague term, so I'll explain it with some examples. But I remember once being a 22-year-old meditating in a room full of fellow meditators in Japan, in a monastery, in, a, in a, like a Zen temple. And I'd been meditating for a while. And I remember feeling this state of unity with all of the people around me, with everything on earth, in fact. I remember feeling like whatever it was that had separated me from these people, whatever it was that made me feel like I wasn't them, I was separate from them, I'm my own guy, all that just evaporated. And I felt this unity with all things, with all beings. And it was like this feeling of returning to the womb. It was an, an, an immensely... Um, it was an amazing feeling. It was an amazingly reassuring feeling. And it was one that I had, I had a smile on my face. And it's very hard to put into words this feeling. But if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. So I carried on with my life. And this, obviously, this episode stuck with me as, as something like that would, this oneness experience. And um, I'm a keen surfer and a keen snowboarder. And I remember this feeling once. Um, we're just, I'd, I'd been snowboarding and I was, I was, I'd hiked to the top of this, to this peak and I remember we, we, it was just dream conditions. We'd been snowboarding all day and I'd hiked to the top of this peak and I was standing by myself on top of this peak, on top of the world it felt like. I was above the cloud line, so it was all blue skies and all I could see below me was this blanket of thick clouds and then just this wide open powder field just below me. And I felt this feeling that emanated from my heart of oneness, of connection, of just everything just being absolutely perfect in that particular moment. And it was a state of, it was a peak state of my life. And then I got on with my life. And in another episode of my life, I found myself in Ibiza with a whole lot of recreational drugs in me, surrounded by all my colleagues and my friends, listening to this world-famous DJ. And I remember feeling this state of absolute connection with all the people around me. Like we were all just dancing, we were all moving, we were all just in this completely altered state of consciousness and I remember thinking oh my god there's something that connects the dots between all these experiences in my life there's something that I need to learn more about because this is the 
these are the best moments of my life. So I want to learn more about them. Can you imagine that, Michael? Can you imagine like that urge? Oh, yeah, exactly. Because you're feeling this sense of uh, it's like an elevated experience. And you're like, how can I live in these moments all the time? And uh, for me, I relate it more to this state of like for me, it's more when, when I get in the zone um, and I relate it to more, you know, my days as an athlete when I was a, was a baseball player. You know, sometimes you're just in this zone where you feel this connection to movement or you feel this connection to your surroundings, things potentially even happen in slow motion in your eyes, even though they're not. Um, and I felt this many times in, as a baseball player, um, you know, you're, when you're at the plate, you know, you're watching a pitch come out, you have 90 miles per hour. And there are moments where that, that pitch seems to come in 150 miles an hour because you're not in that state at all. And everything's happening in like an accelerated speed. You, you can't focus, you can't see anything. And then there are times where that same pitch is coming in like so slowly and elegantly and you see everything, you see the spin on the ball, you, you don't hear the crowd anymore and you're, you're performing at this, at this point where you never even thought you can perform. And I remember feeling those moments, uh, you know, as a baseball player, even through my Ironman experience. Um, but there are moments for me that come and go and I don't know how they show up in my life. I don't know how I get there. Um, I don't know when the next one will come. Um, but for you, it seems to be this, this process, almost like a science, right? That you could help uh, achieve this flow state um, through That's science right. and philosophy, right? That's right, man. So you, you described it really, 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 really well and really, really interestingly. So, so because I'd learned all about these, or because I ex had experienced these states of being in the zone, and some of them were exactly as you described, me on my surfboard, dropping into this wave, time slows down, the wave throws over me, I'm inside the barrel. It's like nothing else exists. There is no sense of self. There is no Jiro Taylor, whatever it, whatever, whatever labels that I have in my life. There is no uh, what time do I have my next phone call at? There's none of that. You're just so locked into the moment. You're so immersed in the action that time slows down and you're just it. That is it. And um, I began researching this. And obviously my research led me to reading books by psychologists, in particular one guy called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who's sometimes called like the godfather of flow because he's the guy that led the first massive groundbreaking study into flow states. And this is a this is a guy who was um, a reputable psychologist who was looking into the zone. He was really looking into the science of the zone. And I read all about this study that he did. Like the reason why he started this study was because he he grew up in in a Second World War internment camp in Hungary um, or Poland. And he he was a kid and he would be watching these people all around him and there'd be you know obviously it's a it's a basically a concentration camp so there's a whole lot of misery there's not a lot of fun going on but he would observe the older guys who would play chess every single day and he would observe that when these guys were locked into their game of chess they were living in this altered state of consciousness that allowed them to be completely separated from the doom and gloom and misery all around them for that fleeting moment in time that was all that there was and it was perfect and, that was, and that's the catalyst that led him to do this huge study and what this altered state of consciousness was. So I, I immersed myself in reading all about this stuff. I started reading all about the science, the neuroscience. I started playing around with the different factors that, that Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi looks at because there are certain, there is a pathway to, to achieve more flow states. There are triggers um, and there are things that you can do. So I started learning all about that. And I realized that there was this parallel between what I was learning from the scientific, neuroscientific, psychological path 
there was a parallel that no one was talking about, um, which was the which was this Zen Buddhist or this more spiritual, this more Eastern philosophy path, and nobody else seemed to be talking about this or making the connections. Um, but for me, because I'd had this background learning about meditation, I began to experiment more and learn more about the similarities in brain state between meditative states and flow states. And I began to learn that the brain state is pretty much identical. And I began to learn how meditation and flow are so closely related on a neuroscientific level. And so I began to learn that the more that I meditated, the more my life began to flow, the more I began to be in this state of flow. And it's come to the point now, Michael, where of course, I don't live my whole life in the state of flow. In fact, it's not even desirable to live your whole life in the state of flow for reasons we can talk about later. But do, do, I, do I achieve a lot of flow? Can I achieve flow pretty much on demand? Can I, can I say to you today, tomorrow, the next day, I will achieve flow states? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know exactly what activities and how to approach them and what mindset I need to approach them with to achieve a flow state. And that's kind of like what I help others achieve too. Could you, could you enlighten us with some of those uh, pathways? Sure, man. So the reason why you will slip into this state when you're at the plate with a baseball bat in your hands and a ball coming at you at whatever it is, let's call it, I don't know, 100 miles an hour, right? The reason why you can slip into this state of being is because the, what you are doing drives you into an enhanced extreme state of focus, right? So if you were, if you were walking down the street, um, just any old street in Chiang Mai, right? You could be distracted by a car driving past, an elephant walking past, <laughs> um, the, the, the rain falling, the, the, a beautiful girl across the road. All these things could distract you. But if, you, if that road suddenly turned into a slack line or a tightrope, then nothing would distract you. Mm. Nothing would distract you. The, the totality of your awareness would be on your balance, your motor sensory balance, that your, that where you placed your foot on this tightrope. The totality of your awareness would be squeezed into this minute area of focus so that you dived so deeply into this that it was all that there is, and that, and then you would be existing in this flow state. So the ball coming at you at 100 miles an hour drives you into the state. Me dropping into a wave drives me into the state. Um, if I was to... Um, so, so, so basically what I'm saying is there are many things that we can do, like intentional activities that require us to live in a heightened state of focus. So therefore, one of the biggest... Uh, on ramps onto into flow is risk. So, doing any sort of thing, whether it's rock climbing, um, which is the physical risk, or whether it's walking up to a beautiful girl in a bar and asking for her phone number, which is a social risk. Any anything that involves an element of risk will heighten or or squeeze or concentrate our focus into one area. Does that make sense? Oh, totally, totally. But there are many others. And the reason why meditation provides such a fertile exploration ground for flow states is because what, what most people don't understand is that for you to actually become a meditator, you have to learn how to be a concentrator. You have to, unless, <laughs> unless you learn how to focus and concentrate, you're, you, you, don't even, you don't even 
get to meditation. Yeah, and that's why I try, uh, I try to meditate. And after three minutes, I'm standing up and going back to my thing because I can't concentrate. I can't focus. Yeah, man. I, I thought of this analogy today while I, while I was driving uh, my van back from the mechanic. And uh, I drove past this movie theater. This like, and, it was just, and, it, and I just thought, like, like, it's like meditation. It's like for you to get to um, the movie theater, for you to watch a movie and, and to immerse yourself in that movie, in that, in that movie theater, you have to get yourself there first. Mm. Like, you'll, you'll never experience that movie. You'll never experience that, that vibe that you get inside, inside the movies where the whole world is shut off. You'll never get there in, unless you can get yourself there. And concentration is the path to get yourself there. So, and, and the reason why this is so valid in this day and age, Michael, is because never before has our attention span, our focus being attacked by so many things that are distracting us. Never before have we had this. Your father didn't have it. My father didn't have it. The people thousands of years ago had one thousandth of the distractions that we have now in our modern technology-fueled existence. So our concentration is, is literally withering. Like as a species, I, I seriously feel like our concentration, our ability to concentrate is literally withering. And with it, if we continue that natural path, if we can, or sorry, if we continue that unnatural path, then then we'll also diminish our ability to be in flow states because flow states come from focus. They come from concentration. So what I learned was that by learning about meditation, by learning other things like single tasking, by learning to um, have some sort of control over the digital activities in my life, by learning to be extremely intentional about uh, my meditation practice that I do every day to, to make sure that I'm training my mind in other ways like reading and writing, um, some people do puzzles and things like that by training my mind, by doing things like surfing and other sorts of complex, um, high motor sensory type of activities, then you're literally training yourself to be someone that's going to experience more flow states in their life. Definitely. And I think this is all making sense for me because I've always had this urge to do crazy things that made me find that focus. So um, for, for those who are listening and aren't like, familiar with my story, like, yes, I was a baseball player in the past, but after I graduated, you know, I got into, you know, Ironman. And the reason why I did Ironman after my baseball career was, I mean, I wasn't a swimmer. I didn't even know how to swim. I didn't even own a bicycle. And the common approach would have been just do a triathlon because, you know, you want to start somewhere, right? But for me, I said, yeah. I, don't, I don't find interest in doing a triathlon. I want to do Ironman. And it's because, you know, it's such a big challenge for me that's going to force me you know, based on the things you said, it's going to force me to have that mm. immense focus because I know that I need to focus if I need to achieve this, this goal. Like if I'm walking down the street, like you said, it happens naturally. It's super easy. I've done it a million times. There's no need to focus there. You can be uh, distracted. And if you were walking on a slack line, you'd have to focus. So for me, I think that's what cause that's what happens in my head or in my, you know, my body, the emotions I feel that forces me or at least encourages me to do, you know, have these big goals. And I noticed that you mentioned rock climbing. Uh, I got into climbing last year and it was this meditative thing for me because at the time I was afraid of heights. I still am. It's not something that I'm over. Um, I was uncomfortable with heights and, you know, climbing was really this really real 
experience because not only was I directly interacting with nature, right? We're touching rock, we're climbing rock, there's, there's sand, there's plants, there's the physical rock itself, but then there's that element of fear as well. Um, and then there's mm. an element of athleticism in it and there's this elegance to it and there's this precision mm. to it and there's a strength. So it was this really incredible experience for me where uh, I felt these things I had never really felt before, even, you know, even though I was playing baseball at a high level and I was training for Ironman and I completed that race, this was very, very different. I think it had that element, like you mentioned, that element of meditation kind of, uh, or at least for me, it was like this meditative feeling, uh, even mm. though it's not meditation per se, but it forced me to concentrate, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I would, and I would hazard a guess to say that that was because the risk level was significantly higher. First of all, you, you came at it with a fear of heights. And then obviously you, you have that, that knowing that you could fall at, at any time, even if you're in a harness, it's still a reality of falling. It's, it's, it's still a scary thing. And, um, you know, with Ironman, yes, you can exist in a flow state for sure for, for, for much of that. And I've read lots of accounts of ultra marathoners, uh, ultra runners, and people doing similar endurance feats, um, being in an altered state of consciousness nearly the whole race. But there's a particular type of consciousness when there's actually like uh, real fear involved, like or, or real risk involved. And I guess with with the Ironman, even though it's like spectacularly difficult, it's not as though you know you. It's not as though you you feel like your life is at risk whilst you're riding your bike. Yeah. a lot of the time. Exactly. That's you see what why. I mean? Yeah, definitely. And that's why I think um, I got so attracted and almost addicted to climbing there for a while because it was so different for me uh, in terms of the feeling that I was was feeling while I was climbing. So uh, it was really yeah. this interesting thing. Yeah, I'd like to uh, just draw a, a distinction between. Um, the flow state and the meditative states, um, because I feel like it's really helpful for people to understand. Um, because I think there's huge value in people experiencing flow states whilst they're climbing or whilst they're doing any sort of activity, even like peeling the potatoes, playing the guitar, um, playing chess, whatever it might be. When you're in that zone, make sure that you become aware of it afterwards and, and celebrate it and learn the lessons from it. Like celebrate the fact that you're in this state of heightened focus and heightened concentration and that you were performing at a higher level and take interest in it. Um, because flow can feel so accidental. It can feel like so, oh, it's just this fleeting thing that comes and goes and I have no control over it. And the beauty of meditation is that it's so not accidental. It's so intentional. Like you don't accidentally find yourself sitting on a meditation cushion for five minutes or 10 minutes observing your breath. You have to actually use your volition, your willpower, your discipline and make a choice to sit there and do that and uh, try and achieve this state of heightened focus. Whereas when you're on the rock, you're actually doing it to have fun. And the state of focus that you come into is an accidental but welcome byproduct of doing that thing. Just, so the distinction I'm drawing is that one is is awesome but accidental, and the other is awesome but intentional. And by doing the intentional one, I feel like i.e. meditation, this has a wider impact over our entire existence. This has a this has a more of a this this quality of 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 focus and awareness that we develop while we're meditating is one that seeps out into our everyday life more than the experience of flow states whilst rock climbing would have the effect on your life. Do you, do you see the distinction I'm drawing? Yeah, I definitely see it. Cool. Yeah. So I just want to ask you, um, just to go back a little bit, you mentioned that 
um, you're able to achieve flow more easily or intentionally. But you mentioned also that, you know, it's not ideal to feel this all the time, right? Could you speak to that a little yeah. bit? Sure. So in the modern scientific definition of flow states, it's basically something like flow is an optimal state of consciousness in which we feel our best and perform our best. That's kind of like the definition that is going around uh, with psychologists and neuroscientists. When we are in this state of flow, a whole array of neurological uh, things happen. Uh, parts of our brain actually downregulate, as in parts of our brain partially shut down. And these are the parts of our brain that control um, our separate sense of self. So this identity, this ego that I talked about before, this part of yourself actually downregulates when you're in a state of flow which means that you or your identity gets out the way of yourself so that you can flow more, okay? What also happens is that parts of your higher executive functions, like your ability to analyze, your ability to use logic and reason, your ability to, to, to judge A against B, parts of these actually shut down as well so that you can draw from your subconscious. So the nearest, in the neuroscientific way of looking at this, we have two ways of processing information. We have our implicit system and our explicit system. The implicit system is our subconscious. The explicit system is our conscious mind, which is primarily, um, it's, our, it's, our, it's a network of our entire brain, but it's most characterized by what our prefrontal cortex does, so our higher executive functions. So when, when you're in a flow state, you are not operating using your higher executive functions primarily. So if you're trying to, so there's many tasks that are not beneficial to be in a flow state for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For sure. Could you mention a few? Sure. So anything that requires the use of, uh, if you're in a, if in, like, have you heard it? Have you looked into the research of brainwave states? So different brainwave states. We have like alpha, we have like alpha, beta, theta, delta, gamma. Right. Um, the beta brainwave state is the one characterized by kind of like busyness or like doing stuff, like multitasking. Um, if, we, if we walk into uh, our office um, and we've got a nine o'clock meeting and our secretary gives us this piece of paper, which is the quarterly report, and we have to read it, we have to analyze it, we're on the fly, we've got, we've got messages coming in, we've got people to see, we've got stuff to do, and we're kind of like in this heightened state of juggling many things at one time. Well, then it doesn't actually help to be in a flow state in a situation like that it actually helps you to be in this into this into this other state where we can actually like use logic and reason and analysis so that's one example of something but anything that you can immerse yourself in single single-mindedly anything that is just one thing anything that's just like this is this is the one thing that i'm focusing on right now that is the time to be in a flow state Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So like when you're climbing, uh, let's say you're climbing, right? You have this yeah. one particular focus that you have to climb. You have to, you know, do this one task without falling with, with planning and strategy and all that. But at the same time, like you said, the other side is if you are picking up the phone, you have calls coming in at the same time, you're answering email and you're doing all these things, then obviously you can't, you can't have that singular focus. That's absolutely right, man. Or another example would be like, if, if you are like sometimes this is, this is the way that I operate in my life when I want to achieve things, like when I operate my business. So I, I split my day into chunks and I, have, I do what I call flow sessions. And a flow session is a period of dedicated sacred time in my calendar where there's no digital, the phone's off the hook, 
everything's unplugged nobody can disturb me and i immerse into whatever it is writing a blog post or researching something whatever it is but before i do all this i preload the thinking i front load the thinking okay so i'm going to be thinking heavily about um the, the topic of the blog post. I'm going to be thinking heavily about the structure of the blog post. I'm going to be thinking about what is the point that I wish to get across. Um, how do I wish, to, what language do I wish to use? What keywords do I wish there to be there? What is going to, what is going to do well from an SEO perspective? Um, what, you know, what things am I going to hyperlink? What resources am I going to draw from? All of these things are things that require my highest level of executive function intelligence. So all of these things are coming from a state that is not the flow state. But when I've done all that thinking, yeah, when it's all front loaded, when it's all done, I can then switch into this state where I can purely flow because I no longer need all of those functions. Now I can just draw from my vast subconscious. Now I can just immerse myself into it. And this, uh, this process, I, I never knew this, but it's been given validity by a, by a neuroscientist that I interviewed for the Flow State Performance podcast. And he's a neuroscientist called Michael Graziano. And he happens to be, he's a Yale neuroscientist who happens to also be like a ventriloquist, a novelist, and a composer. So he knows a thing or two about being creative. And I said to him, what's your technique? How do you do it? How do you approach writing a novel? And he said, I do this thing where I think about everything first. And then all, when all my thinking's done, then I just immerse into it and get into this state. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> this neuroscientist is doing what I'm doing. And uh, that's what I think is the most powerful way to think about how to manage our lives. Yeah, and I think this also relates to when people you know, sit at their laptop and say, okay, I'm going to write a blog post. They have a brand new document open and then they're like, I'm stuck. And they have writer's block. And I think it's because, you know, like you're mentioning, I think they're trying to do the thinking and the executing at the same time and it doesn't work. Whereas, you know, you do your thinking ahead of time and then when you sit down to write, it's all done. You just got to put it out there, right? Precisely, man. Precisely. And that's why when the writer goes out, he, he goes out to take a walk because nothing's happening. And then on the walk, he's doing all this thinking with all this fresh air coming into him. And then he comes back to the laptop and it's just like, bam, Boom. he's just in it. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think everything you've been saying is absolutely brilliant. I think you're brilliant, really. Um, you talked about the flow session, right? You, could someone go back to your website or contact you to get this system, like the flow session system that you uh, that you follow? Absolutely. It's actually like uh, right on the homepage of my website. Um, on the on the right hand side, it's like the uh, you you can opt in um, and you can get sent this this PDF that I made, which explains this this flow session system. And it draws from neuroscience. It draws from my own personal experience. And, I've, and my clients have been using it for the, for the last year. And some of them have, have told me that they've been doing like five to ten times more work um, in the allotted period of time than they were getting done previously. That's beautiful. So they can go back to flowstatecollective.com and download the uh, flow session system right on the right-hand side. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's an orange, bu- orange button that says download now. And you just get um, this uh, PDF document, right? Precisely. That's amazing. And do you, you teach people, like you said, you have clients, you teach people how to achieve these states through like Skype calls or, you know, through helping yeah. them set up a, a, a better a process? Yeah. So my, my main, uh, so when I set up Flow State Collective in 2014, um, I, I first of all set it up as an adventure travel company. I wanted to take people snowboarding and surfing and have them experience an altered state of consciousness uh, through flow 
and then teach them meditation so that they could uh, experience more of these episodes in their life. And these retreats went amazingly. And it led to me being asked to do coaching and talks and workshops and things like that. And so I began to expand into that sort of thing. And these days I coach a very small handful of startup entrepreneurs, a couple of guys, Silicon Valley guys, um, who are really driven to experience peak states. And obviously they have a performance agenda. Um, but uh, what often starts as a performance-related conversation often turns into a more spiritual or purpose-driven conversation. Um, so, yeah, I do coach people. But I also offer – this is a new initiative, Michael, and I'd love to talk about it now. But I've, I've launched this program called The, the Practice. And this is a donation-based or a completely free. Like I don't care about the money with this. My, my agenda with this, with this initiative called The Practice is simply – to help more and more people around the world develop their own meditation practice because I feel it is the single most powerful way to become a higher performing and more authentic human being. Um, and I feel like it's a sad state of affairs when we have this tool, we have this technique at our disposal, it's been validated by philosophy and by science and it's not being mainstreamed. It's not there for everybody. It's not accessible. It's hidden under the cloaks of mysticism or people don't want to do it and i want to say i want to change that man and say this is powerful this is valid this is sexy this is mainstream this is awesome this is accessible this is free this is something you can do right now wherever you are in the world and i want to open the doors up for people to uh to, to share my practice so that they can develop the tools and the technologies to develop their own practice so this is just me empowering people and I'm not, I don't even want any money for it. I just want people to start meditating because I feel that's how the world's going to change. And where can we go to get more uh, information about the practice or even, you know, join, make a donation and all that? Sure. So there's uh, the, the top banner on the, on the, on the webpage uh, says the talks about the practice and you can click there. Um, otherwise, um, I suggest that you look for a, um, a Facebook page called The Practice by Jiro Taylor. Uh, maybe we can put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Um, or you can connect with me personally on Facebook, Jiro Taylor. I'm, I think I'm the only one. Um, and um, yeah, I'd be more than happy to connect you up with that. The one and only Jiro Taylor. Yeah. So guys, make sure you go back. <laughs> I think everything is on your website, right? Flowstatecollective.com. There's the the flow session system on the right hand side. And at the top of the page, it says want to build your practice that will lead to freedom. Click here for more details. So you can click right there, find out more about the practice, join, make a donation, uh, check them out on Facebook as well. Um, so everything is right there waiting for you. All you got to do is go, go there and read about it and consume it and actually apply it. Because as you can see, I mean, this interview has been a little longer than usual because I don't want it to end. This is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Um, before I let you go, I have two questions here that I wrote down that I'm not yeah. sure um, how we're going to answer them, but I'm just going to ask them. I'm just going to ask them. So uh, my first one is you mentioned the word um, you worked with uh, Silicon Valley startups, people wanting to uh, achieve peak states. What about people who achieve peak states through drugs right now, like through Adderall or through other drugs that make them focus immensely and they just rely on that? instead of relying on things like you're talking about? How could, what could you say to them to help them make that mental shift and to look to, you know, within themselves or look to these practices like you're talking about instead of looking towards these, these drugs? Yeah, interesting, man. Interesting question. I, I would just draw back to the fact that we are nature. Like we are human beings. We are wild creatures. 
Like, look, look at, just go to nature. Look at how it is. Look at the trees. Look at the animals. Look at what is natural. And then ask yourself, is taking this chemical substance natural? Like, and anything that is unnatural has some sort of trade-off to it. That's just a law. It's just, it's just the way it is. And I know that there's pretty smart guys like, like, like Tim Ferriss and Dave Asprey um, of the Bulletproof Coffee fame who, who, who claim that they've done the research and that there are no negative side effects. And, you know, man, if, you're, if you've done the research and you feel 100% certain that there are no negative side effects and you feel that this thing really does add something to your life, then, then all power to you. But if, you're, but if you are aware of a negative side effect of taking these things, if you know that there is a trade-off or if you intuitively know that this is not natural, then what I'd say to you is then just call it. Just call it and develop your uh, natural acuity through an awareness-based and a contemplation-based uh, training regime um, such as the one that I'm going to be talking about in the practice. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you for that. I think it's, it's kind of headed in that direction. I've seen it a lot uh, in the, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs in the entrepreneurship space, and I saw it a lot uh, in the poker world. I was a poker player in the past too. So um, interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, and the last one is what, what could you say to those who, who are you know, potentially doubting the situation right now? Like they're looking at this and they're saying, you know, it works for him, but it won't work for me. You know, it's simple. It's easy for him to quit his job and, and chase his true self in that sense of adventure and you know instead of <laughs> instead of living the rush uh, or adrenaline through making that deal like you used to you now live the rush and the adrenaline through you know surfing and adventure and and chasing those dreams that you've always had so i'm sure a lot of people are thinking like okay it's easy for him to do it because he made 200k in a day he was making a million dollars a year so yeah he can quit his job and he has all this money saved up that he can you know do uh, or follow his passions what about me you know someone might be thinking what about me that i'm making you know six figures and i'm paying my mortgage and i'm you know i have a family and i can't quit my job because you know i can't take that time without making this this revenue or this income to to do the things i want to do what could you what could you say to them to help them look past that i would love to talk to all of these people <laughs> if i had the time in my life and i would say to them very simply how are you measuring your success and your wealth your abundance in your life what what metrics are you using and i'll say to them i'll give them the techniques that i now use which has got nothing to do with bank balance or property portfolio or number of beach houses that you have or any of that stuff i would say just look in the mirror and ask yourself am i being real am i being real am i being authentic am i being true to myself and if the answer you get back is yes it doesn't matter whether you're working for a hedge fund or if you're working as a janitor. It doesn't matter if you've got 50 grand a year or $5 million a year. It doesn't matter whether you have eight wives or mistresses or not. It's like, are you being real? Like, if you can honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I am being real. I'm living my true life. I am honoring the person that I really am. Then you are killing it in life, my friend. And I take my hat off to you. And I say, keep on, keep on with that. Amazing. I think that's an amazing, amazing way to finish off. So Jiro, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, your, your wisdom, your energy. Uh, you're, you're absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much for, for coming on here and for sharing this with, with everyone. You're welcome, brother. It's been my pleasure. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that little interview between Michael and myself. And you learned a little bit more about my background and history and all this, all the events and thoughts and actions and behaviors and habits and thoughts that have got me to where I am right now in this current reality where I'm sitting on my bed in my hotel room in Bali 
Uh, about to get married to the girl of my dreams, running a business that is something that I dreamed about, um, where I help teach people about the flow state. Well, you heard it. That's why I'm here. So guys, um, this is possibly the last show for a little, little while because um, I'm about to embark on an adventure. Uh, it's an adventure in Indonesia where I'm going to be doing a lot of surfing, a lot of meditating, a lot of hanging out with my new wife. But I'm also going to be exploring this philosophy of living in flow. It's this concept that's been rolling around in my head for a little while now. And I feel like for the last few months, I really have stepped up this living in flow uh, concept. And it has become, you know, I've started putting more meat on the bones. Like, what is it? What does it actually mean? Like, what, what ha has to happen for one to live in flow? What are the, like, the practical realisms and steps and methods and day-to-day -day stuff that we have to do or remove or add to live this life in flow. So this is what this experiment is about. I'm in, the, I'm in Indonesia, I'm removing myself from any of the day-to-day -day burdens of life such as income and have to do and stuff like that and I've just created this space of pure freedom, expression, balance, flow, all that kind of stuff and I'm going to experiment with myself to see what emerges from this place. What is it that knocks me out of my flow state? What is it that allows me to extend these periods of flow throughout the day? Not just while I'm on the surfboard, but throughout the day, whilst in conversation, whilst in contemplation, whilst in research, whilst, you know, writing. Like, how can I extend micro flow into the macro? That's the question that fascinates me. And uh, that's what I'm going to be exploring for you guys. And I'm going to be documenting it and talking more about it in subsequent episodes and blog articles and all sorts of juicy goodness like that. But for now, guys, just wish me well on my little journey, my little experiment, and I wish you all the best in your quest to live a life in flow. Catch you soon. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.